been a great joy, and it's been really rich for me personally uh, to walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And I know it's been several months that we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Even uh, we even uh, took a break for a little while during the uh, the Advent season. Uh, but it's really been good for me, and I hope that it's been encouraging to you uh, as well. This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount as we have a few weeks left uh, in our study. And the title of the message today is Living in Kingdom Focus. Living in Kingdom Focus. But before we read the text, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we approach your word this morning, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you desire to answer us. And thank you, Father, that you desire to work in our lives. And so we ask that you would give us insight, illumination by your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray this morning for your anointing, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you found your place in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, I want to invite you to follow along as I read. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For everyone who, or excuse me, verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus here is teaching on Prayer. You know, one of the things that I remember from my college days is that it was a great and fun season in life. I remember getting off of work at 10 or 11 o'clock at night from the restaurant that I worked at, and then I would, after that, I would go and I'd meet a group of guys out at a football field. We turned the lights on. I don't know how we had keys to the lights, but we did. We turned the lights on. Uh, And then we'd play football till about midnight. And it didn't matter if it was hot or cold, rainy or a clear night. We would be out there just playing football, tackle football in the mud or whatever, just having a blast. And after we got wise and uh, recovered from some injuries, we decided we'd do something a little less uh, physical. And we started playing basketball. And so we played basketball at... Uh, at the Civic Center in Thibodeau, behind the Civic Center, where they had lights on the court. And again, we'd play till 2 or 3 in the morning. So it was one of these things that just we would go out and we'd play at night and we would have fun and we would enjoy it. We did the same thing with Ultimate Frisbee. Of course, we played during the day, but we played several times. Uh, we played really often, I would say. And so, you know, as I thought about the pattern that I had in college, one of the thoughts that came to my mind was, you know, I really had a passion for just having fun. In fact, one of the things that I realized, or as I thought about it, was that, uh, you know, I was, I was really persistent in play and having fun, but I wasn't uh, so passionate about the very thing that I was at school to do, and, and that is learn. In fact, my passion for going and having fun and late nights like that actually hindered and detracted from the main purpose that I was at school, right? To learn. So having fun 
although it was a thing that I enjoyed doing and something that I persistently did, it wasn't what I needed to be doing. Now, in a very different way, Jesus exhorts his followers to be persistent in prayer. The verbs that Jesus uses in verse 7, ask, seek, and knock, can be translated, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And unlike my persistent passion for having fun back in college, persistence in prayer will never hinder or distract us from our main purpose in life. Persistence in prayer will only fuel God's purpose in our lives. And so God's kingdom mission is at work in and through His children's lives. And the way that we connect and understand God's kingdom mission at work in our lives is through prayer. Jesus knew this. It's the reason he's given us this instruction in chapter 7. Persistence in prayer will keep us living in kingdom focus. I want us to see that this morning. It was William Carey who said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. William Carey, an incredible missionary uh, to the church. So this morning, what I want us to see is this, that God, God wants us to be passionate about living with His kingdom in focus. God wants us to be passionate about living with His kingdom in focus. You know, if you recall back when we began this several months back in Matthew chapter 5, we said these beatitudes that Jesus calls us to, these aren't, uh, these aren't check 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 marks that we can put on some list of character qualities that we need to uh, that we need to grow in these aren't uh, these aren't check marks that we can place beside a box instead what these are these are realities of kingdom living and that is to say for those who are believers in Christ who have been transformed by Jesus Christ these are the real these beatitudes are realities that are becoming ever more present in our lives as we walk with Christ so when we say God wants us to be passionate about living with his kingdom in focus, we understand this because when we're passionate about God's kingdom, we'll be persistent in turning to him through prayer. When we're passionate about walking and living in God's kingdom, we will persist in the activity of prayer. One way that we live with God's kingdom in focus is by learning to be persistent in prayer. Verse 7 tells us this. Jesus says, ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Well, we looked at prayer a couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 6 with the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And we even spent a couple of weeks there. But just to recap, what is prayer? What is prayer? This is how I would define it this morning. Um... Prayer is one of the most intimate activities and privileges given us by God. For in prayer, listen, sins are forgiven. Salvation is granted. Deliverance is given. Righteousness is obtained. Power is accessed. Strength is received. Mountains are moved. And the will of God is discerned. Prayer is intimate communion with God, the Creator Of the cosmos. Prayer is an intimate relationship between the Father 
and his children. And so Jesus is calling us to prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. There is a certainty here of continuing to ask and continuing to seek and continuing to knock. Well, what is it that we're asking and seeking and knocking for? Think with me back a couple of weeks, even to last week. And think about the demands that last week's text give us. Those demands are high. We discussed having a critical spirit this week in home group. Uh, and, And as we discussed that in home group, we all acknowledged how truly difficult Jesus' words are in chapter 7, verse 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. He goes on in verse 2, for the judgment you pronounce will be You will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I won't take time to rehash all of that. You can go back and listen to last week's message. It's online. But one of the things that we realize is this is a hard, hard thing to do, right? For the believer, it's hard not to have a critical spirit. It's like we're all just hardwired with this critical spirit. In fact, we realize as we understand the demands of Jesus' teaching that they're just simply too much for us. That left to my own strength, I cannot live under the weight of what Jesus is commanding me to do. And I would say, and feel comfortable saying, that neither can you. That none of us can. None of us can live under the weight of what Jesus is calling us to in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're foolish to try to do it in and of our own strength. They're too Hard. These demands are too hard. They're too difficult for us because of our fallenness. And because of this, we are in need of divine grace. And because of this, we are in need of communion with our Heavenly Father. That is why Jesus is turning our hearts to prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. You will find. It will be answered so we realize that we need communion with our Heavenly Father. But listen, Jesus not only realizes that we're unable to carry out the commands and the demands of verses 1 through 6 on our own. He knows this to be true for his teaching of the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, kingdom citizens are unable to live out God's demands in our own strength at all. And so this is why Jesus is drawing our attention to prayer. And one of the exhortations that we understand from this verse is that prayer is to be persistent. When Abba Agathon was asked by brethren which activity required the greatest effort, he responded with, There is no labor greater than praying to God. For every time a man wants to pray, his enemies, the demons, try to prevent him. For they know that nothing obstructs them so much as prayer to God. You see, the ongoing process of continuing to ask and seek and knock isn't because God is unaware of your daily needs. As one man said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. Prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing us. And so when God has placed this desire in our heart or 
there is a desire that is in our hearts. And we do the most intimate thing we know we can do. And that is we go to the Father and we bring this before Him. And we're persistent in bringing it before Him. And yet we still fail to have the answer that we're hoping for. Yet we continue persistently, right? This is what Jesus is saying. This is the picture He's given us. We're we're continuing in prayer. It's like the widow in Luke chapter 18. What does the widow do? She goes before the unjust judge, right? And she cries out from in the back. She's, it's like she's popping her head out over the crowd saying, I want justice. Give me justice. And finally, after some time, it says the unjust judge hears her and gives her justice. And then the line that Luke gives us is, is not God much better? Unlike the unjust judge, God. If this is what the unjust judge does how much more God I love what uh, what um, Bill Mounts uh, said he said there's something about our persistence in prayer that moves God to do what he might not otherwise do Jesus is calling us to persistence in prayer not because God is unaware And not because it changes God, but because it changes us in the midst of the process. Well, how long do we keep bringing this this petition that we have before God? We keep bringing it before Him until God changes our hearts or until He answers it, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do in this persistence of prayer. And so, Jesus says, ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and this door will be open. Well, what are we asking and seeking and knocking for? I think there's a couple of directions we can go for that. We can, we can look into our personal lives and consider what we might ask and seek and knock for in our personal lives. Things like growth and godliness and maturity and faith. Perhaps the health of our family. Salvation of loved ones, financial provision, righteous living, our children's well-being, and the list could go on. I want you to notice, though, down in verse 11. Look at what he says in verse 11 about the Father. So if, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? What are these Good things. In the parallel passage of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Luke has almost word for word. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Perhaps what Matthew intends for us to understand is these good things involves foundationally the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I don't think it's far off to say that, uh, that, that this is one of the things that, that is a good gift, a good thing that the Father gives to His children. But here's what I think Jesus is pointing us to see, is that as we prioritize the kingdom of God and live in kingdom focus, we are a people who grow dependent on God. And 
We are a people who are transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. And as we are transformed, we're being shaped and molded into God's covenant people. And so the Holy Spirit is doing this work. And God is doing this work in our lives through the Holy Spirit, giving us these good things. And what are these good things? But they are first spiritual in nature, developing within us a a righteous character. That then drives this desire for living righteously and and doing righteous deeds and doing these good works, Ephesians 2.10, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in. And then having our lives conducted with with a righteous speech, right? So then our lives are becoming this effervescent aroma that as 2 Corinthians chapter 2 speaks of, we are becoming the aroma of life to life to some even death to death to others, right? And so this is God at work in our lives, macro picture, keeping kingdom living in focus. So Jesus is saying, in the midst of all of these commands, in the midst of the difficulty of living out the Sermon on the Mount, ask, seek, and knock. Persistently turn to God in prayer. The persistent, prayerful pursuit of the disciple is first spiritual in nature. It's kingdom focused. Look at the word seek there in verse seven. It's the same verbal form that's used at chapter six, verse 33, when Jesus says on this exhortation, chapter six, verse 25, let me back up. He begins by saying, don't be anxious, right? Be anxious for nothing. This is the passage that uh, Pastor West preached on a couple of weeks ago. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll or nor about your body or what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Right. And he gives us examples. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers of the field. God takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. But then he sums it up in verse 33 and says, do what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you. And so there's this challenge here for the believer. How do we seek the kingdom of God first? What's Jesus telling us to do? He's telling us to come before God. To lay our hearts bare before God. To think. Not necessarily about all of the physical needs, though Jesus does address the physical needs in the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. Give us this day our daily bread, right? But then he also prays, deliver us from evil. So Jesus is calling us to a persistence in prayer. Can we think, though, beyond our personal needs? Can we think about being persistent in prayer that goes beyond just the the spiritual blessings in our own life? I think as believers we should. I think there's a responsibility for the Christian, for God's covenant people to think beyond themselves because God desires to reach the nations with his gospel, with this good news. And when we even think about maybe the connection with Connect 365 as uh, as we have have kind of come through that at the beginning of the year and, and this connection between connect 365 and and living in kingdom focus how do we consider or do we consider the need to pray for our communities our community of faith praying for one another taking the prayer list that gets sent out weekly by Kristen and and reading through that and praying for it or are praying through the the membership of 
of Crosspoint? Do we consider praying for the communities that God has placed us in where we live? Even the communities surrounding this campus uh, or the people that we that we work with and interact with on a daily basis. We're praying for our city. What are we asking God to do in the midst of this city through Crosspoint, through your life? Are you faithfully petitioning God? Are you being persistent in praying to God? Are you being more than just kind of a, a defensive prayer, right? Like, God, guard my life. God, grow me in righteousness. God, help me to beat this sin. Uh, God, give me deliverance from this sin. Or, or are we also praying offensively? God, use me to make your word known. God, use me to be a blessing in someone else's life today. God, use me to, to share the gospel with this person so they might come to faith in Christ. So what Jesus is saying here is that we we need to ask, seek and knock. And in the asking, it will be given to you. And in the seeking, you will find. And in the the knocking, it will be opened. And in the midst of this prayerful petition before God, this persistent prayerful petition before God, God will hear us. And one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to answer our prayer as we're persistently praying, or he's going to change our heart so that we see how he desires to work in our life and use even our prayers for his glory. Not only are we to learn persistence in prayer. Secondly, learning persistence in prayer is more than an intellectual exercise, right? It's not like we can just will in our minds, okay, I'm going to be more persistent in prayer. I'm going to be that self-disciplined to wake up every morning and to spend this time in prayer. Or I'm going to be that self-disciplined to take my lunch hour every day and spend that time in prayer. It's not as if we can just will this to happen. But learning persistence in prayer, it, it means that we need to really learn. Hear me here. We really need to learn to trust God. We really need to learn confidence in God's fatherhood. Confidence in God's fatherhood. Look at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, Jesus is not saying that we can come before God with anything that we want and simply have an answer to our prayer. He's not saying that, G- that God is like a genie in a bottle, ready to answer our prayers in a moment's notice. Right? That's, that's fairy tale land. That's Aladdin, right? That's not who God is. God can and will answer prayer according to his will as he sees fit. But there is this balanced responsibility of our of our coming before him persistently. And so there's a security here in verse eight, but that's not it. In fact, James chapter four, James speaks against this when he says you desire and do not have. He says to the church, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And listen, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly. 
to spend it on your passions. In other words, your, the, your reason for asking is motivated by some subservient passion that's not to glorify God, but to glorify self. And he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, in, is the enemy of God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so what's James say? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Draw near to God. He draws near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The challenge that James gives us is akin to the challenge that our Lord Jesus is laying before us in verse 8 and the remaining of the text. The motive for which we ask is very important. And so in the midst of our coming to God, we must learn that we can have confidence in God's fatherhood and that there is security There is security in coming to our Father. The security of verses 8 through 11 is this. God only gives good gifts to His children. God only gives good gifts to His children. That's the security in verses 8 through 11. He doesn't give bad gifts. God gives us good gifts. Even if he doesn't answer prayer in the way that we want him to, he still gives only good gifts. For God sees the big picture. His focus is on all of it, right? A lot of times our focus is just really narrow. Self-centered, not God-centered. Self-centered, not not kingdom-focused. So Jesus is saying in the asking, in the seeking, in the, the knocking, that we're, we're in need of being open to receive what God is, the gifts that God is desiring to give us. And so if we ask for things which aren't good for us, he denies them. And in his wisdom, he knows what's best. Chuck Quarles makes an insightful connection in his commentary, pointing out a connection between verses 7 through 11 and verses 13 and 14, when he talks about asking, Jesus says that in the, or Quarrel says in the asking, Jesus is possibly referencing the asking for the entrance into the kingdom of God. And that in, in seeking, it's as if Matthew 6.33, where we see that seek first the kingdom of God, there is this seeking of the kingdom of God, and then all of these other things are given to you as you come and, 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 and enter and, and are given the kingdom of God. And then the knocking is, is connected in verses 13 and 14. If you knock, you will find, he says in verse, uh, verse uh, or if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you. So he says in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The picture is of approaching the gate to a city. And on the gate in the city, 
uh, during these days, there would be a door on that gate and you would have to knock on the door in order to gain entrance into the city. And so he he points this out and says that there's a possibility here that Jesus is also addressing those who are not part of the covenant people of God. And the way we would understand this is if, if the Holy Spirit of God is leading and working in your life and you come before Him and you, you ask, ask for entrance into the kingdom of God, and this, this means acknowledging our sin before the Lord. It means repenting of our sin and confessing faith in Jesus Christ. Because He says there in verse 14, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so Jesus says, seek and you will find. There is a challenge, I think, inherently in these verses. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. And that challenge is, are we going to come before God in faith, asking Seeking, knocking for the blessing of his kingdom. Learning confidence in God's fatherhood takes more than just intellectual power. It takes a step of faith. It requires trust. It requires surrender. June 6th of 1998, my father knew that I was running from God. And in the midst of my running, I had flunked out of college. This was before I was playing football and stuff at night, all right? But I had flunked out of college, sitting out for a semester. um, And dad called me up and said, son, what are you doing in a few weeks? And I said, I I don't know, dad. Uh, Why? He said, well, I want you to commit to doing something for me. And I said, well, tell me what it is. And he said, "Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Do you trust me? I said, yes, I trust you, but tell me what what you want. He says, no, I'm not going to tell you until I have your commitment. And after that back and forth for about three or four four more times, finally he wore me down. (laughs) He was persistent. And as he wore me down, he said, do I have your commitment? I said, yes, you have my commitment. Turns out it was a lay renewal for an Experiencing God weekend at the church that I was attending in Homa. And during this lay renewal, God just reached in and broke through over my running. A couple of weeks before, I was somewhere I shouldn't have been, and in the midst of that, doing things I shouldn't have been doing, The Lord was calling me even then, and I wanted to run like Jonah ran. wanted to run as far and as fast as I could, but I couldn't outrun God. I couldn't continue to run from Him. And I thank God for my Father who would call me and ask me, do you trust me? There's a level of trust that we have with our earthly relationships but I think there is a completely different level of trust that we can have with our Heavenly Father. You know, some of us have been wounded deeply by our fathers. Some of us still carry baggage 
from the relationship or the lack of relationship that we had with our father growing up, maybe even still have. And that baggage tempts to weigh us down. It's heavy. And then there are others of us here who have a completely different experience. Throughout your childhood, your father was present. He was there, always there. He was great. He raised you right. In fact, your perspective of your father right now is, I hope that I can be as good of a dad to my children as he was to me. And so I realize that every one of us are at a different place in how we view this role of fatherhood. But I want you to hear this. This is the illustration that Jesus is pointing us to see. No matter our experience, none of our fathers were perfect. And Jesus acknowledges that in verses 9 through 11. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Right? Then he goes on. If you then who are evil, that is fathers, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? This argument, like Pastor West pointed out a couple of weeks ago, is from from, from the lesser to the greater. And if the earthly Father knows how to give good gifts to His child, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is the standard of good, you don't get any better than Him. What Jesus is saying, As a child of God, we can approach our Father with our needs, with our desires. We can approach Him because we can have confidence in the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. Because in God, we have a Father who never errs. We have a Father who is always approachable. And He is the antithesis of any evil that an earthly father could perpetrate And he is the unattainable standard that any father could hope to attain. This is who we have in God the Father. One who is approachable. One that we can have great confidence in. One that we can come before and address as Father. We need to learn to trust the fatherhood of God. It's in prayer that we come before God petitioning him for the good gifts that he is waiting to give us. And Jesus is saying, ask your heavenly father for the good gifts of his kingdom. Ask him to satisfy you in his word. Ask him to quench your thirst with holiness. Ask him to satisfy your hunger with righteousness. Ask him to change your desires so that you would live in kingdom focus. Ask him to break every chain that binds you. Ask him to deliver you from evil. Ask him to teach you his will and reveal to you his will from his word. Ask Him, seek Him, and knock on the door, and it will be opened. Christian, I want to challenge you to be persistent. 
in prayer. Go before God and don't leave until, as R.A. Torrey says, O men and women, pray through, pray through. Don't just begin to pray and pray a little while and throw up your hands and quit. But pray and pray and pray until God bends the heavens and comes down. Let that be how we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer. That we are not going to give up. That we are going to be persistent and that we are going to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that you hear our prayer. We thank you that we can have confidence that not only do you hear our prayer, that you, but that you desire to give us good things, good gifts. Thank you, Father, that you love us and that you hear us and that you allow us to come before you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would give us a holy desire to be like Jesus is calling us to be, to be persistent in our prayer, to be persistent in our pursuit and our desire for righteous living, for kingdom focus. God, would you, would you use us and work in us, God, to, to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to see the lost come to know you? Would you use us, God, to be your hands and feet in the midst of our community, in the midst of this city, God, would you use us to bring, to bring healing, spiritual healing, into the lives of those who are sick? And Father, would you use us in a great and mighty way? Would you guard us from sin, deliver us from evil, and be exalted in our lives? For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?